bringing you the latest in tax credit news. This is Tax Credit Tuesday with your host, Michael Novogratik. The legislative challenges have been significant. We very much need legislation. we got to produce housing. We're still in a very volatile industry. It's a challenging atmosphere for almost anyone. We can't get all these big signals and messages. If he doesn't have a bipartisan bill, nothing's going to happen. Alternative energy is still very expensive. Hello, I'm Michael Novogratik, and this is Tax Credit Tuesday. It's also another government shutdown Tuesday. Today is Tuesday, October 8th, 2013, and we're now a full week into the government shutdown. I'll start this week's podcast with an update on the shutdown, or the partial shutdown, which some are referring to it as, and the looming debt ceiling. In our new market tax credit news, I have information about the first round of awards from the City of High Fund Bond Guarantee Program and the opening of Nevada's first state-level New Markets Tax Credit Allocation Round. Also, as most of our listeners know, we do have our next New Markets Tax Credit Conference in New Orleans this week. Right now, we have over 600 industry participants registered. I hope that you're one of them and you'll be joining us there. Then, in our Long Island Tax Credit segment today, I alert listeners to the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development's release of the final fiscal year 2014 fair market rents, as well as provide information about disaster relief in the state of Colorado. In Renewable Energy Tax Credit News, I discuss a recent hearing on the oversight of the Wind Energy Production Tax Credit. This is a Congressional House oversight hearing. Finally, in our historic cash rent discussion, I'll discuss a petition from the National Trust for Historic Preservation that they're sending to Congress that asks lawmakers to end the shutdown because of its negative effects on historic tax credit projects and other preservation efforts. If you're ready, let's get started. In general news, the budget stalemate continued this week as Congress failed to reach an agreement on funding the government for fiscal year 2014. As you know, the fiscal year ended on September 30th. The House did pass legislation on Saturday, though, to provide back pay to furloughed federal workers once the government reopens. And President Obama has said that he would sign that bill. However, it is facing certain delays in the U.S. Senate as I record this podcast. Now, as for ending the shutdown, Congress has made little to no progress. At the time of this recording, House Republicans are still saying they won't pass a continuing resolution unless it has negotiations with the President and Senate. Both houses did meet on Saturday, they did not meet on Sunday, and as I say, no real progress has been made. Now, I do think any ultimate resolution could include instructions to begin tax reform discussions. I also believe that at this point, resuming funding of much of the federal government is rapidly conflating with the looming debt ceiling deadline. Now, President Obama did say on October 3rd that he would not, he would not unilaterally raise the debt ceiling. He said he doesn't believe that the president has the authority to unilaterally raise the debt ceiling on their own. That means that the Congress will have to approve legislation raising the debt ceiling. 
Now, Representative Alan Grayson, a Florida Democrat, did introduce legislation to raise the debt ceiling on Saturday, and the legislation was referred to the House Ways and Means Committee. Now, as you also know, if you're a regular listener to this podcast, Treasury Secretary Jacob Liu has said that the nation will get perilously close to the debt ceiling by October 17th. Secretary Liu says Congress must raise the debt ceiling by that date or the country will risk defaulting on its loans. I will note, though, that many in Washington and on Wall Street increasingly see October 31st as the critical deadline, knowing that by the end of October, the federal government would most certainly not be able to fund its bills. Now, we'll continue to follow both situations, and we'll provide updates via Twitter, breaking news alerts, and potentially blogs on the notes from the Novogratic blog. So please stay tuned. If you're not already registered for breaking news, please go to www.novoco.com and enter your email address, and you'll get a free breaking news alert whenever breaking news alerts are sent out. You can also go to Novogratic on Twitter and sign up for my Twitter feed. We will continue to follow both situations and provide updates via Twitter, breaking news alert emails, and the notes from Novogratic blog. If you don't already follow me on Twitter, simply go to twitter.com and search Novogratic and follow me. If you don't get breaking news alert emails, please go to www.taxcredithousing.com or www.novaco.com and enter your email address in the free breaking news alert box. And then for notes from Novogratic blog, simply search Novogratic blog on Google. In new market tax credit news, the Community Development Financial Institutions Fund announced last week that it will guarantee $325 million in community development bonds for the first round of its CDFI fund bond guarantee program. Awarded CDFIs will use the principal amount of the guaranteed bonds to make loans for community or economic development activities. Examples of eligible activities include building affordable housing, supporting businesses that provide low-income people with jobs or are owned by low-income people, and community or economic development activities in underserved rural areas. Unlike other CDFI fund programs, though, the bond guarantee program doesn't offer monetary awards or tax credit allocations. It's a federal credit program in the sense of lending credit, where bond proceeds are debt instruments that need to be repaid. Treasury can guarantee up to $500 million in bonds in fiscal year 2013. The CDFI Fund Bond Guarantee Program is authorized through fiscal year 2014. Now, the four recipients for this round are Clearinghouse CDFI, Enterprise Community Loan Fund, Community Development Trust, and the Local Initiative Support Corporation. We congratulate those awardees. Now, the CDFI Fund said that the four CDFIs all, as many of our listeners already know, have a solid history of stimulating job growth in low-income communities. Now, the CDFI Fund also selected bond issuers for the program. The three qualified bond issuers will be Community Reinvestment Fund, Opportunity Finance Network, and Tri-Sale Funding Corporation, a subsidiary of Bank of America. Congratulations also to the three bond issuers. Now, this program is designed to operate at no cost to taxpayers. It should be a great source of low-cost capital for underserved areas. And if you want to read more about this funding round, 
simply go to the New Markets Tax Credit Resource Center. I'll have updates on the program in future podcasts. Turning to state news, I'd like to remind listeners that Nevada has opened its first application round for its Nevada New Markets Tax Credit program. Now, the allocation round opened October 1st, and it's scheduled to close October 31st or once the program is fully subscribed. CDFI funds certified community development entities with prior federal New Markets Tax Credit allocations that included Nevada in their service area are eligible to apply. They can use the credits to invest in qualifying active low-income community businesses. The program has an annual cap of $50 million and a transaction cap of $5 million. The legislature created the program earlier this year in Senate Bill 357, entitled the Nevada New Markets Jobs Act. If you'd like to learn more about Nevada's new program, simply go to the state program page at www.newmarketscredits.com. The page has information about Nevada's program, as well as 13 other state new markets tax credit programs. Now, state programs can be a great source of capital for new market tax credit eligible developments. So I encourage, if you're looking for new market tax credit funding, to check out the page to see if any of your needed projects are in states with a state new market tax credit program. In low-income housing tax credit news, I have an update from the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development. Frequent listeners may recall our previous coverage of the proposed Fiscal Year 2014 Fair Market Rents, or FMRs. In that August 13 podcast, I examined the proposed FMRs and analyzed their possible effects on the marketplace. Well, last week, HUD released its final Fiscal Year 2014 FMRs. The final FMRs took effect on October 1st. If you want to learn more about these final Fiscal Year 2014 FMRs, go to www.taxcredithousing.com. And you can also check out the article, HUD Proposes Fiscal Year 2014 Fair Market Rents in the September issue of the Journal of Tax Credits. And if you have any particular insights or concerns about these Fiscal Year 2014 FMRs, please send an email to cpas at novaco.com. Now next, I have an update from the state of Colorado. The Internal Revenue Service announced last week that it's suspending certain occupancy requirements for developments financed with low-income housing tax credits and taxes and bonds to assist those displaced by storms that began on September 11th. Now, regular listeners will know that this is fairly typical in that the IRS will provide certain relief to tax credit requirements for individuals and families living in areas that have suffered a natural disaster. Now, rather than going through the details of the notice, I encourage you to go to Notice 2013-63 and 2013-64 to find more details. Now, the notices became effective on September 14, 2013, when the president issued a major disaster declaration for Colorado. Now, if you're thinking of availing yourself of this opportunity and you're an owner of a tax credit property or an investor in a tax credit property, I encourage you to contact Jim Kroger in our San Francisco office or Thomas Stagg in our Saddlery office. There are numerous traps for the unwary owner if you're not careful. Now, you can find copies of the notice at www.taxcredithousing.com. And once again, if you have any questions, I encourage you to reach out to Jim Kroger or Thomas Stagg. In Renewable Energy Tax Credit news, last week, the House Oversight and Government Reform Subcommittee on Energy Policy 
held a hearing to discuss the production tax credit. The subcommittee was focused on examining the production tax credit in general and its effectiveness in particular. The subcommittee examined reports on wind energy production and heard testimony from four witnesses. The four witnesses were Dan Riker, Executive Director of the Steyer Taylor Center for Energy Policy and Finance at Stanford University, Curtis Wilson, Associate Chief Counsel for Pass-Throughs and Special Industries at the IRS, Dr. Robert Michaels, Senior Fellow of the Institute for Energy Research at California State University in Fullerton, California, and Rob Gramlich, Senior Vice President of Public Policy, American Wind Energy Association, or AWEA. The lawmakers and witnesses had differing views of the tax credit and its effectiveness. Those questioning its effectiveness included Subcommittee Chairman Representative James Langford. He cited the growth of the industry during the past 10 years as a reason for possibly ending the tax credit program. In his opening remarks, he also cited two estimates from the Joint Committee on Taxation. He said that another one-year extension of the production tax credit would cost $6.2 billion over the next 10 years. He also said that a five-year extension would cost nearly triple that, $18.5 billion during the next 10 years. Now, we didn't go into detail during the hearing as to how the Joint Committee on Taxation arrived at these numbers, and if I learn anything more about these estimates, I'll revisit them in a future podcast and send out a tweet. Now, it's interesting to note, however, that American Wind Energy's Gramlich also cited numbers from the Joint Committee on Taxation in his testimony. He cited a report that showed that the production tax credit cost less than $2 billion this year. He also noted that it drives more than $20 billion of private investment annually. Representative Spire did speak in favor of the production tax credit in her opening remarks. She cited the jobs created by the program and also the number of jobs lost when the program almost expired last year. Now, in his testimony before the committee, Stanford's Riker suggested a multi-year extension of the production tax credit, albeit with a gradual phase-down. He also suggested the near-term congressional adoption of the Master Limited Partnership Parity Act and issuance by the IRS of a ruling that expands real estate investment trusts, or REITs, ability to include renewables. He noted that this would allow the wind industry to continue to build projects using a well-established financing approach. Now, the subcommittee also discussed the expanded eligibility standards for the production tax credit. Uh, As you likely know, the latest tax credit extension significantly expanded eligibility standards so that a project had to begin construction in 2013 versus monitoring eligibility based on placement and service. Some have said that the new requirement is too vague and could create monitoring issues. The IRS's Wilson suggested that the industry use similar guidance as is used for the Section 1603 grant program. Use that guidance for purposes of interpreting the begin construction language. He also added that the IRS has issued two revenue rulings in recent months to address the term begin construction. Now, our regular listeners already know that because we've covered that in prior podcasts. Production tax credit advocates also argued that the production tax credit needs to be extended to create a fair marketplace. If you want to learn more about the hearing, 
visit www.energytaxcredits.com. In historic tax credit news, I'd like to alert you to a petition that the National Trust for Historic Preservation is circulating. The National Trust is asking people to join them in letting Congress know that the shutdown is harming historic properties. This includes properties being renovated with historic tax credits. On Friday, the National Trust sent an email with a link to the petition, which is the form of a brief letter. The letter says that the shutdown is preventing government employees from preserving the nation's historic and cultural legacy. In the email, the National Trust said that applications for historic tax credits are on hold, and this is jeopardizing the projects and the jobs, income, and taxes that the projects generate. The National Trust also noted that grants for historic rebuilding in areas affected by Hurricane Sandy and other natural disasters have been frozen by the shutdown. You can find a copy of the petition at www.historictaxcredits.com. Well, that brings me to the end of this week's report. Join me again next week for another Tax Credit Tuesday, and hopefully it won't be a government shutdown Tuesday. This is Michael Novogratik, and I'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. This weekly podcast has been brought to you by Novogratik and Company, LLP. Archived discussions are available online at www.novoco.com forward slash podcast or by subscribing to the Tax Credit Tuesday podcast in iTunes. Novogratik and Company, LLP is a national certified public accounting and consulting firm with offices nationwide. Learn more about our professional services at www.novoco.com.